and we are live with the All Gas No Break Sports Show. I am one of your co-hosts, Nicholas Pavona, joined alongside once again by Andrew Johnson and Grayson Sheepy G Marino. And guys, we are now towards the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. But to get to that road, it's certainly been a lot of bumpy hits during this stretch of the season. A big time, a couple of big time upsets actually have happened in the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament. It has been a wild time to say the least. I don't call it March Madness for nothing, but it feels like this yeah. season a little bit more than usual. I mean, yes and no. It's been a very, very strange March, in my opinion. Teams that, I mean, I think we all thought were good teams just didn't have it. <laughs> Seems like a lot of the conference tourney winners all went just, down. Yeah. Well, it, to sum it up, just, uh, this is March. I hate how you die. I, I hate it. I hate Flotstein you. bastard. Um, but yeah, I mean, let, let's just get right into it. The fir- I mean, obviously, this game didn't take place on the first day of the first round. But on, you know, on Friday, a big-time upset happened between 16th seed Fairleigh Dickinson and 1 seed Purdue. Purdue obviously was the Big Ten champion. And a lot of people believed that they were going to be the national champion including someone no, on did. this show. Yeah, I, I listen, I was trying to give you the break and not say, and, you know, name no, drop I'll, here, I'll, I'll, I'll not it. It. I, They were my pick. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, and the, and it's fair enough. I mean, they were the tallest team going into the tournament, and they were facing the shortest team uh, size-wise going into the tournament, fairly Dickinson. And you got to give the Knights credit. They did what they needed to do at the end of the day, and they pulled off the second 16-seat upset over a one-seat, defeating Purdue 63-58. to Moving on into the second round of the NCAA tournament, a monumental upset for the Knights and a great win for Tobin Anderson. Yeah, now we had spoken about this earlier. We knew Tobin Anderson as a coach when he was coaching St. Thomas Aquinas about Correct. seven or eight years ago. We saw him come into St. John's and out coach for Johnny is 90 to 58 and an absolute stunner. They obviously went and, uh, with this, I think, Elite Eight that year for the NCAA tournament, Division Two tournament. So you know he could coach and they could play. But you didn't realize that how talented of a coach he actually was. And he's about he's about to make one uh, major program very happy, where whoever gets him. To say the least, yeah. man. Like <laughs> And just from the facility standpoints, if you take a look at where Purdue plays, where Fairleigh Dickinson plays, their athletic budget, uh, they don't even have a band. I would venture to say that Purdue's band has a bigger athletic budget than their entire basketball team at Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, Dickinson. yeah, the Fairleigh Dickinson had to have the uh, Dayton band for their um their game last night against Florida Atlantic, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But you're right, they didn't even have, they don't even have their own team band. And it just goes to show you. Now, keep in mind, also about Fairleigh Dickinson, they weren't even supposed to be in this tournament because they didn't technically win their conference championship. They, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who Merrimack. was the comp- Merrimack. Thank you. Merrimack was ineligible for postseason play this season, so therefore, Fairleigh Dickinson took that opportunity and got to the NCAA tournament. And not only did they do that, they had to play in the first four. They won their game, then had to play this game against Purdue, and they won. So people are saying that it's possibly better than the UMBC upset. But remember, UMBC did beat Virginia by 20 points in that game. So. No, it's a this very is, tough I would, comparison. I would say this is better than the uh, UMBC. Uh, I would agree with you. Only because Fairleigh Dickinson should have not been here. You could correct. 
So you can make all your arguments around like, oh, this team shouldn't advance. They should have lost this game. Like, no, we know that they lost. They shouldn't have been here. They had no business being here. Right. Yet here they are. Yeah. Just just one of those March runs. <laughs> and, you know, they're not the only New Jersey team, though, to pull off a big-time upset in the first round of the NCAA tournament. How about Princeton, the 15th seed, going to play the two-seed Arizona Wildcats, the winners of the Pac-12, and Princeton pulls off the upset. And remember, Johnson, I even said on the show, I said Princeton has yeah, a great opportunity because those Ivy League schools, we say it every year, they know how to play, and they're very smart going into this tournament. And they did just that against Arizona. It looked like they were going to fall, but they made a great time run towards the end of that game and were able to upset the Wildcats 59-55, to moving on to the second round of the tournament. This just goes to show that no matter what you say about the Pac-12, it is forever to me a mid-conference. It is Maybe it was the Conference of Champions when no one was playing basketball 50 years ago. But in the modern era, the Pac-12 and the Mountain West, they're like the same conference to me. Right. What, what is the real That's big difference between the, the Pac-12 and Mountain West, especially if teams like Arizona like this, getting upset like that? Like UCLA is their only, uh, their only yeah, hope. Yeah, and, and, and a couple of years ago, UCLA was nothing. Do you think that yeah. – oh, God, it's so tough. Do you think the whole Sean Miller and how they had to pretty much pay players to go there, it, it's kind of like they're cursed in a sense? Um, because they really should have gotten at base, really should have gotten sanctions. Yeah, I probably agree with you on that. Like, I think it's more karma than anything. It's just, it's strange, man. It really is. It's just one of those things that you're never going to be able to understand. I mean, to say, uh, like the Marcus Cousins once said, when he was playing against Cornell in the NCAA tournament 13 years ago, I think it was 13 years ago at this point, 2010, uh, a lot of teams had picked Cornell to upset Kentucky in the Sweet 16. And he was just saying, you know, this is a basketball game. This ain't no spelling bee. And, you know, you're right. It is basketball. Basketball's play on the court. But sometimes when your opponents are just that much smarter, you have that much of a higher basketball IQ. All the physical talents you may possess, it just doesn't matter at the end of the day. I think and when it comes to IQ, I mean, there's no better example of that from this tournament from than the Furman and Virginia game. Because Virginia looked like they should have won that game towards the end of it. And then a realistically, a low IQ play with a really bad turnover cost them this game. And they were eliminated by the, the Paladins, correct, Johnson? That's their team name? Uh, yes, the Furman Paladins of the Southern Conference. Thank and you. I, I knew go, you would know that. Yeah, before we go into Furman, I want to give a shout out to their head coach, um, who's taken over. He's one of the younger coaches in NCAA, under 40. Alyssa will be under 40 for another couple days. He took them over in 2017. He's been with the program since 2011. And before that, Furman wasn't really a player, but in the five seasons, or the last five or six seasons he's been there, 139.55 all-time, you know, record, and then 78 and 27 in conference. He's had him to a couple different postseasons now. And it seems like every single year, Furman's one of the better teams in that mid-major. Right. So I think he's another guy that's going to be. Uh, he might be go. He might go to high major schools. Now he's got you know six or seven good coaching years rebuilding a mid-major program. Now he has an upset under his belt. So I think he's another guy that's going to get paid this off season. Yeah, I mean. It- 
he should. <laughs> the guy's been one of the better mid one. I'd probably say one of the best mid major head coaches over the last what, probably five years. Like, I mean, yeah, and, but you you've had like you've had the guy the guys from UMBC UMBC you've had you've had um, Brian Oldham. I forget who the loyal guy is. I know he's at Oklahoma. Uh, Porter Moser. He's at Porter Moser. Uh, he's at Oklahoma State right now. He's doing a decent job over there. Yeah, no, Shaheen, all, oh. Oklahoma. Oklahoma now? Yeah, he's yeah. at Oklahoma. Why did he Oklahoma. was at Oklahoma State? No, it's not Oklahoma State. It's Oklahoma. He's at Oklahoma. He's still doing a pretty good good job over there. Uh, you have Shaheen, Shaheen Holloway. That's uh, from St. Peter's. Now that's in um, Seton Hall. Hall. You have Speedy Claxon at Hofstra. Uh, who's doing a great job there? Only he's only been there for two seasons. So you have a lot of these mid-major guys that are up and comers. And as the old guard starts to exit, you have guys like Jim Beheim leaving Syracuse. You have like Mike Bray leaving Notre Dame, Providence, which we'll get into a little bit, has a coaching uh, a head coaching job available. As the old guard seems to leave, a lot of these mid-major guys, that young coaches, they're under forty, are going to get their opportunity to shine on the big stage. Right. Yeah, it's. Yeah, go it's, on, a, it's going to just be a fun time to see where a lot of these guys go, honestly. What they could do with a bigger budget. How they recruit this talent that, I mean, right now with the way that college sports are in general, you know, you got to bid a little bit more than it's just your coaching style. But it's going to be interesting to see if uh, that all works out for them. Yeah, I mean, it's good. it would definitely be an interesting time, especially with the quote-unquote coaching carousel. Because like Johnson said, there is now two head coaching jobs that originally were available that now have been filled as of today. And now it leaves another school with a head coaching availability, which we'll have to see where they go from there. But like Johnson said, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. But so I guess, now, go ahead. Go ahead. Before we move on from this, what does this do for Tony Bennett? It, he's a coach that is in such <laughs> a weird situation. National championship saved him. He should have been fired if that was the case. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. won the ACC regular season half a dozen times. He's won the ACC t- tournament a couple times. He has a national championship, his name. I have a question for you, though. Sure. Now, I don't know the name off the top of my head, but the Purdue head coach. Uh, what's it, Matt Painter, right? Matt Painter, yeah. Where do you go for, with him? Because considering uh, how the last three tournaments have, have gone, right? I, I don't know. They, they've they lost to, a correct. I think it's a 13 seed. A 14 uh, and Peters. a 16. And a 16, yeah. 13, 15, and 16. So I won't count him as much for St. Peter's because he did at the end of the day, I think he lost to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So to me, that was lightning in a bottle, and I'm not going to fault him as much. Like, oh, he lost the 15 seed. Yeah, but he lost to them in the Sweet 16. And I know that Purdue had national championship aspirations. Majority of people didn't have him pick didn't have him pegged for the national championship. Most had Sweet 16, Elite 8. Maybe they sneak into the Final Four. But he kind of led up to expectations. Um, So I don't know what he really does. I, I think that Sweet 16, ironically, might have saved his job a little bit. It depends on the transfer portal. If he can keep Zach Eady home, if he keep a lot of his players at home, he has a good recruiting class, I think it will keep him one more year. Because let's face it, at this point, he's been there almost 20 years. He's been... Not right. the mainstay there. So I don't think he's going to get fired overnight. Uh, and especially if you take a look at where Purdue basketball was before Matt Painter got there. No, I agree. It, I mean, Purdue basketball at the end of the day, let's face it, it wasn't like it was the end-all, be-all programs. 
I would say they were kind of like St. John's a little bit in the, that they were good in the eighties and nineties. And that was pretty much it. And then there was a whole like 10 year stretch before Matt Painter got there. That, that was kind of it. Like maybe they'd sneak into the tournament here or there, but uh, Matt Painter has been kind of an institution there for the last 20 years. So for me, I don't think I can. I'm just yet. No, I, I agree with you. I, I, oh. I just had to figure out the question. I actually disagree. I think you have to can them at this rate. Like, okay. I mean, th- here's the thing. So, Grayson, I'll bring this up to you. Do you can Bob Huggins, then? I think it's a different situation. Do I think Bob Huggins needs to retire? I think it's kind of even – I think it's like the same situation, to be honest I with you. Said, They're I both in there at the same time. I mean – I have said that the Bob Huggins situation is just like the Syracuse situation. Yeah, like – you're talking. I think it's the exact same thing. Atta- you're talking a different attachment to not only the fan base, the school. Like, uh, there's such an attachment of Huggins to West Virginia that, but as much yeah, as so I was Jim Beheim at Syracuse, exactly. Well, right. George, exactly. Right. But well, I think for me right now, it's just I don't think that west virginia is ready to move on even though i think they probably should as much as it pains me because i love huggins as the head coach uh, they need to move on but they won't where i think purdue okay look you've been you've been a, a number one overall you know what i mean like you've been ranked number one in the country at points like and yeah you're, you're I, I see what these, you're saying here but who do you think's gonna walk into that, that door who do you think walks for that door right now that immediately makes him better than matt painter uh, who knows? Who knows who goes there? I mean, I don't have any specific ideas, but I think a guy that has underperformed so much. Like, you had probably the best player, one of the best players in the country in March. Like, that guy was, he is perfect for March, Zach Eady. And you find a, you can't beat, like, a 16? Like, <laughs> There's gotta be, there's gotta be punishment for three years in a row losing to ten or below seeds. I mean, I'm gonna say it again: the whole St. Peter situation. You lost them in the Sweet Sixteen, so it's not. It doesn't like, matter. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's and North Carolina was probably a couple baskets away from losing to them too, and they won the national championship. So that shows you how good that St. Peter's team was. And uh, my, but there's a difference. I'll give the leeway in North Carolina. Where I won't give the leeway to a team that like Purdue, like they have consistently not proven to me that he's going to go out there and win you a national championship. I mean, I'm going to say this right now. And when um, you're ranked number one or in the top three or the top five, that should be your goal. And you're going to lose to a sixteen. So, so here's my thing: if you think this strongly about Matt Painter and you feel that way about Bob Huggins, give me a take on Calipari then. Cole Parry should have been fired five years ago. You think he should have been fired after one NCAA? So you're telling me five years ago, if he lost a single game in the NCAA tournament, he should have been fired. But Cole Parry's only, again, Cole Parry's recruiting the top four, like minimum of top four. Yeah, you're right. Recruiting is half the battle. Recruiting is half the battle. That's the Um, only reason why Cole Parry had a job for this this long to begin with, because he was bringing in top classes. I like, mean, if you want to go into it, at this point, Princeton has more NCAA tournament rings, wins than John Calipari does in the last few years. And Calipari also should be fired. Uh, 
I don't know. If you're gonna fire fire Calipari, then definitely Bob Huggins has to go. Definitely Matt Painter has I, to I go. I just That's... said Huggins should go. I said I don't think they'll do it, but I think Huggins needs to go. So again, that's at the end of the day. So I could see in us an alternative universe if John Calipari gets fired, then they fire Matt Painter and he goes to Purdue. Because I don't know where Calipari would go. I don't know what really is a better job out there right now. Maybe he goes to Providence because he's an East Coast guy. But uh, at the end of the day, a lot of these coaches, I think they're not. On the, I think they're on the hot seat, like Matt Painter's on the hot seat, but he's not going to get fired. I think Tony Bennett is on the hot seat, but he's not going to get fired. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. It is so tough right now. College basketball for me is the hardest thing to pick where coaches are going to go. Like, Well, especially with the NIL nowadays, you don't need a yeah. regional fit anymore. Yeah. Like the, the days of regional coaching is dead. Like, oh, you're a New York City guy; you should be coaching somewhere in the city. Like, no, yeah, that makes, exactly. It, it's it, gone. That's dead and gone. So it's it's just unfortunate, for in my personal opinion. Like, I, I like that regional look on teams. Well, like, if you want to, if you want to get one, if you want to blame one source, you could blame ESPN for destroying that. They destroyed it about 15 well, years ago. ESPN destroys everything, so that's but no I think, surprise. Uh, I think Nick is ready to go into our second ca- second round recap now. I think he's done listening to about what coaches should be hired and fired. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nick. I'm not gonna say that. I mean, that sounds kind of harsh when you put it into those kind of words. But no, it's all, I'm always here for debates and you know stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, we'll get into the second round recap. And realistically, what I'm when I'm going to talk about some of these games, I kind of want your guys biggest takeaway coming from the second round and now moving into the sweet 16 what like what was your biggest you know shocker maybe or what you kind of saw happening or something like that so i can give you my biggest shocker from everyone else's standpoint but not from my personal standpoint because i went over this before right um i said that the big east was going to have three teams in the sweet 16 and i'm not going to be surprised and national media is going to have this whole thing oh is the big east actually good like and the question is to be yes the big east is good they just don't pay attention to them so from a national perspective that is the biggest surprise but it's not going to be a big surprise to me what i think is actually the biggest surprise or hmm. i guess not the biggest surprise is uh, all these other power 5 conferences underperforming yeah I mean, that's definitely fair I mean, you have to think. We had to look at it to the second round. We had Princeton beating Missouri. They're now into the Sweet 16 as the 15th seed. You had the reigning champions Kansas losing to Arkansas. I, I that I was really scared for that game for the, the Jayhawks. I thought Arkansas is a, kind of a under the radar team. They have some NBA talent potentially into the draft. So that's why I was a little bit nervous for Kansas going back to the national championship, which is why so- I wasn't. Favor I'm so glad that, that you brought up Arkansas because we talk about the old coaches. You know who coaches uh, Arkansas right now? It's uh, the former Nevada the old, coach. Yeah, the old Nevada coach, Eric Musselman. Like, he was another Eric guy. Eric Musselman, who, thank you. Yeah, who had his, you know, he's been able to like shine now at Arkansas. He's really brought that program back. Yeah, he's done a great job with the Razorbacks. I mean, a great time upset against Kansas, who a lot of people like, including Grayson. No, not you know, throw you out no, there, but I, you had them as the national champion pick. I mean, it, and in my personal opinion, it was just hard not to. No, that's <laughs> fair. That's it's completely fair. I mean, Kansas they got really screwed with the seeding though, because this if oh, Arkansas absolutely. wins now, this could be the third straight Elite Eight. 
Yeah. Right. Going back to those Nolan Richardson days of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was but we agreed that that was a tough bracket. No, that was like, absolutely that was a that yeah, was it's the toughest bracket by far. But it, it it's going to bring up an interesting matchup now with Arkansas going in to that Sweet 16, which we'll get into a little bit later on about who they're playing because I think it's one of the better matchups of the Sweet 16. Absolutely. TV. Yeah, I think it really is going to be must-see TV. Um, other games that we had in the second round, we had Tennessee defeating Duke. Duke was my favorite to win out of that region, so was surprised to see the Volunteers you know, come out with the W in that one. Duke just did not look strong in the second half of that game. Uh, we had Houston rallying to defeat Auburn. Looked like the Cougars were going to be another one-seed falling, but they were able Killed to have bet. a big second half. Yeah, I mean... I, I'll give them credit. I, I didn't have Houston going far either, but I'm not the biggest fan of them. Not really sold on them, but they did their job, and they're now in the Sweet 16 because of it. Uh, one of the bigger upsets we had, too, in the second round was Michigan State beating Marquette. So Marquette, we had, a lot of people believe they were See, I, a good I was, team. Uh, here's the thing about me, and I, I've said this before, and I said this during the Big East preview, but I ended up being wrong, but it came back to bite him the ass here. It was yeah. the St. John's test. Has yeah. this team struggled against St. John's this season? Yes. All right, let's kind of check off some potential problems. They were completely healthy, firing on all cylinders, and it still took them to the very end of a game. I'm pretty sure that game went to overtime, right? The last Big East game versus St. John's? Um, It was an overtime, right? I th- no, I think they blew no, a 10-point no. lead. And then it went they to almost overtime. blew a 10-point lead in one minute, and I think they won by two at the end of regulation. No, 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 I don't no, think no, it no, went to no, overtime. Yeah, no, no, that's the first game. That oh, was, that was the, the first game, sorry. Yeah, no, no, yeah, and then they went to the Big East tournament and went to overtime because St. John's right. shot 0 for 8 right. in overtime, and they still only won by two points, Marquette. Right. So to me, that was the big problem. With, they had lost to UConn early in the season, but UConn was like injured. They had a player out, so you kind of cut them some more leeway, whatever, but... Michigan State, you have to talk about Tom Izzo now because that's another guy that's another Sweet 16 for him. Yeah. I think that's I think he's yeah. double digit Sweet 16s or close to it now in his 20 uh 20 plus years there at Michigan State. So if I have a head yeah. coach that's making the Sweet 16, you know, lock or even more every other year, that's fantastic. So uh is it that big of an upset? Yes, but when you take a look at I think the head seating coaches, wise seating wise, is, yes, it's a, it's a it's an upset. But coach wise now. No, yeah, yeah coach-wise, no. by far a better. Shock the Smarts won one game in, in March Madness, I think, since that uh, BCU run. Those BCU ago. run, yeah. And it was. I, th- I think you're right. I think he's won in his last nine. Um, yeah, he's not a postseason. Guy. Tournament games. He's a great regular season guy, but that was my main yeah. concern when Marquette hired him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fair. And then the other games that we had, we had Kansas State holding on to defeat Kentucky. Personally, for me, I thought that was kind of an upset. I really wasn't. Sold on Kansas State either. I thought Kentucky would be able to move on and go into the Elite Eight, potentially. That did not happen. Um, Creighton defeated Baylor, so a big-time win for for them. I mean, this is kind of the Creighton team that we expected, Johnson, going into the season. They were oh, favored absolutely. to win the Big East. And then and they got hurt. To, yeah, exactly. They got hurt. They, they really kind of off. Yeah, exactly. They kind of were mid during those injuries they were able to get i think they were the fourth seed or the three seed going into the big east tournament and realistically they were a dangerous six seed going into this ncaa tournament that's why baylor just wasn't really a good matchup for them to face 
in the second round, and Creighton really took advantage of that and dominated them to get the win. And then the last game, realistically, was between kind of a, a second-round match we didn't think you'd see between Florida Atlantic and Fairley Dickinson. Fairley Dickinson gave Florida Atlantic a run for their money. They just could not pull off a second straight upset. Florida Atlantic hanging on to win that game, to move on to the Sweet 16, and they will play Tennessee at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, now I'm really happy with this Kansas State uh, team. Uh, as Dickie V put it, Marquise Noel, the smallest guy on the court, was a giant for them. Uh, yeah. 5'7", 155 pounds from Harlem, New York. Averaged 17 and 8 this year. Put an absolute clinic on Kentucky. And John Calipari couldn't even mention him by name. So I thought that was really disrespectful. And they've earned their New York City homecoming now. They have four players from New York. Uh, I believe three are from Harlem, Harlem and one is from Queens. So for them, this is going to be a homecoming for them. They're going to be very good. This is the hometown crowd for them. Even though it's the strangest time. Manhattan's so far away from Manhattan. Manhattan, Kansas, that is. Yeah. But this, this is the hometown crowd. This, you're going to see a lot of people show up for this Kansas State team playing in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, it'll be an electric vibe, to say the least. Um, I believe their game is on Thursday, so that game will be one of the Tips couple off games. Thursday, six thirty on TBS. Yep, right there you go. There you go, right ahead. Um, it will be one of the games to certainly look forward to the Sweet Sixteen. But before we get into our predictions for what will happen during the Sweet Sixteen, I know there is two head coaching uh, moves that happened today that I know you, Andrew, would like to get into, especially. All right. Well, first of all, we have to break with the news of Ed Cooley leaving Providence for Georgetown. You did call this. I did call this weeks ago, and some Reddit detectives found out there was a house for sale outside Providence, and they figured out it was Ed Cooley's house because there was a Chris Dunn Timberwolves jersey being framed in the house over a doorway. So I don't know who else in the Providence area would, in their right mind, have that hanging in their house, but hats off to the degenerate that found that. That's a really good detective work. I mean, that the NYPD should hire him for internet crime. If you can get that kind of detail, if you have that kind of dedication, if you got Rick, um, Ed Cooley's leaving Providence because you found this random house on Zillow now, that, has a, that has the jersey hanging up, that's perfect to me. Now, what do you think this move does for not only Georgetown, but for Providence at the end of the day? So I saw a lot of people online saying, why would he leave Providence for Georgetown? And... I don't like Georgetown. I don't think that's a secret. No. But this is where people don't seem to understand the impact Ed Cooley has had on Providence. The reason why people think, why would he leave Providence to Georgetown is because Ed Cooley built it like that. Correct. And you also have to go give a shout out to Father Brian Shanley, too, who was president of Providence College at the time, who hired Ed Cooley and built that program for the ground with him. It was a joint vision. But Ed Cooley made that program as des- desirable as the current Georgetown. Now, I think Ed Cooley going to Georgetown, they can hit the ground running. He'll get a nice home outside Northern Virginia, so he won't live in uh, in D.C., but I think Georgetown with the NIL and the transfer portal, uh, they could be a fringe tournament team this year, and that is saying a lot because they had absolutely no one there. What no. I am going to be all for, uh, I cannot wait to see Ed Cooley uh, return to Providence because he is not going to get a hero's welcome. No. To him, no, he is he is the not. Brutus. To, he is uh, the Brutus to Caesar right now. He is the Benedict Arnold of uh, Providence. Agreed. And, and I, I don't know when exactly this happened because uh, there were thoughts that in mid-February 
Ed Cooley had checked out mentally. And if you take a look and kind of piece together, that's when they started going on that losing streak. That's when they lost all four games at the end of the season. Maybe right. Ed Cooley at that point knew. And at that point, I think there has to be some sort of investigation into Georgetown because you straight up poached this guy. Yeah. Intra-conference. Why you still had an active head coach. Not like they fired Patrick Ewing. No, they were going around. I, I wanted to know how many other coaches they probably They were played. deliberately tanking at college basketball when there's nothing. There's like no number. Like it's not like an NBA where you're tanking for like a draft. I, I, you know what? This is going to sound strange. I think nowadays that's actually going to be more possible with the NIL and you can have coaches go anywhere. Right. I mean, to, to this is going to sound crazy, but Bill Self could just say, you know, I don't want to live in Kansas anymore. I'm going to move to. Sunny Florida. Yeah, I remember and he's I'm got nothing else to prove either. He's already yeah. won national championships in yeah. Kansas. So you're gonna have guys like this yeah. now and say, you know, I just want to move to whatever city and all these players are coming with me and there's nothing you can do about it, be NIL. And all of a sudden these programs can just be built in in, in moments. Obviously, you need facilities, you need donors, uh, you need uh, influx of cash, but uh if you build it, they will come. So to me, this is kind of really low on Georgetown. If these I allegations see, are true, the dreams uh, quote. Yeah, I was thinking the same fucking thing. Hey, if you build the day will come, there. Tell me I'm no, wrong you're right, right here. No, you're, you're not wrong at all. So I, that's I, to, I always that, so to me, that's where quote. I see. Uh, that's where I see these things happening. Um, but that's my takes on it. I don't want to know what you guys are thinking right now on uh, Georgetown and Providence. I think it's a great move for Georgetown. It is because we, we you, really you've seen is. how Providence has been the last couple of seasons and. Cooley, if he knows anything, it's how to build a program from the bottom up, and I think that's exactly what Georgetown needs right now. Yes, they had that one, you know, very, very lucky Big East championship under Patrick Ewing, but we all knew at the time that they were not a good team, and they just got very, very hot. And they got exposed by Colorado. They lost exactly. 40 points, and then they and, lost 36 games in Big East play the next two years. <laughs> exactly. And, and Cooley, each and every consistent year since he's been there for Providence, They've gotten better and better. I mean, obviously, this year was kind of a little bit of a down year for them, but that could be into what you were saying about how maybe he just was checked out and he wants a new, you know, adventure to his life. And that's exactly what this could be for Georgetown. So it's a great move for the Hoyas. For the Friars, it's now really going to come down to who do you hire to continue this run? Do you look towards a mid-major guy? It's it's very possible he could be the Open guy. Open Anderson has now proven, even though he has only one year at Fairleigh Dickinson, he's won on every single level. It's that's fair. Who, that's the guy you look at. If you have, he was was an excellent Division two coach, and before that, he was a great Division three coach too. Yeah, he wasn't making the NCAA tournaments as a Division three coach, but he was still posting positive records. He had, I think, a sixty, um, like a sixty six percent lifetime win percentage in Division three. So. And in Division Two, he had a 78% all-time uh, winning percentage. So that's a guy, to me, Providence, hire Tobin Anderson. Uh, I know he grew up in the middle of Iowa, but it seems like he's been on the East Coast for the last decade now, and I think he's gotten used to this. So to him, hey, I mean, I think he'd be a good uh, a good head coach. He's under, uh, he's about 50 years old, so he's got the energy for it. That'd be my number one pick, if he's available, of course. Right. I mean, I know they're looking at George Mason's Kim English also. Ah, that's a disaster. So, no offense. Yeah, it's... And I have my, I have my own reasons for that. I, I know you have your own reasons for it. But that's not the only head coach news that we had today. And I know Johnson wants to get into this one. So, Johnson, the floor is yours. So, for my entire existence, St. John's has sucked. 
for our existence because I've also been there with you to experience yeah. it. Yeah, was, you for yes for the entirety we of our existence. Watch team get killed by Arizona State and Bobby Harley. Hey, listen, that was a close game. Actually, it was closer than the box score, but it was and, the basketball it, I it, saw it, was it, it, the worst basketball I've ever seen. Exactly, in my life. it didn't seem like it. Uh, so it starts back, I guess, twenty years ago or twenty three years ago. The last time they won the their, their last tournament game, which ironically they lost the last meaningful tournament game to Gonzaga, which right. overtook the world at that point. But St. John's has tried a couple guys. They've tried they tried Chris Mellon, they tried Steve Lavin, they tried Mike Anderson, and finally, for the first time ever, they're not lowballing a head coach. I know Mike Anderson, Chris Mellon getting paid around two million dollars a year, one and a half mil. They finally opened up the vault. They said, you know what? We're going to give the absolute floor, whatever you want, to Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino signed a six-year deal with St. John's. He would be there through 2029, 2030, I believe. Yeah. He'll be there until he's 70 years old, 77 years old. He wants to coach until he's 82, 83. I doubt that. But if he's even there for three or four years and the influx of money he's going to bring in. Uh, he wants to build new facilities on campus. He wants to play board games at Madison Square Garden. He wants to upgrade that God godforsaken hellhole known as Carnesec Arena. That's a glorified high school gym. It really uh, is. <laughs> just hiring Rick Pitino and getting him there for two years. Just I don't even if he doesn't win anything his first two years. He says, you know, I'm done. Just the upgrade of facilities and the new arena on campus. That money he'll he'll bring from the donors is well worth it. So to me, even if he doesn't win anything, they already won. Because you need to build something because they have the worst facilities in the Big East. Uh, it's a commuter school right now. There's not a lot of people actually going there. They're suffering with enrollment. And they're going to finally dig into that $830 million endowment. Yeah, that's $830 million that they're just kind of being misers about. And they're going to ha- hand Rick Pitino, which I heard is about six, five to six million years. So they're going to give him about $30 million. And then they're going to start building facilities. And with this, they're actually bringing back Mike Rapoli, uh, founder of Vitamin Water and Body Armor uh, at Drink Body Armor. Please uh, support the program. Uh, <laughs> he said, I know with Rick Pitino back, I'm going to be there. He said with the amount of money he plans on spending, I hope to get three a, a couple of season tickets in Mass Square Garden for life with the amount of money he's prepared to spend. So it sounds like to me he's willing to spend tens of million, billions of dollars to help Rick Pitino out. So to me, they finally got the Hall of Fame coach. And now they have a billionaire backing to go with it. So to me, this is the closest thing I know of, Nick, of Steve Cohen going into college sports. Oh, man. This is, this is the closest thing we have. Am I wrong? There's no way he just brought up Steve I don't know. Actually, you have a guy that's worth billions of dollars saying, I'm willing to spend as much money as possible to build this a contender. And it's not even like you have to pay the athletes anything. You just have to build facilities. Don't say it again. I'm wait. Uh, I was waiting for him to say, uh, "If you build it, they will come." No, I'm not going to say it again. That's, 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 okay. But Nick, I want your thoughts on this as well because we've uh, we've been wanting this for a while. Yeah, we all know it's no secret to a lot of people that I was not a fan of Chris Mullen during his tenure at St. John's. I it's just he great player when he was there. Horrible head coach. I saw the guy I recruited in him. Sure, he could be a good recruiter, but he couldn't. He would not call the plays during his own damn huddles. No, it was he Greg St. Jean. Exactly. He he was not a, a head coach. And sure, you got to one quote-unquote first four matchup, but by the time that happened, it was already it was already done with. Being that as it may. Mike Anderson, tenure, 
was very rocky. They were, you know, at the start of it, you saw some promise that, hey, maybe this team could go somewhere soon. And then once you expected a lot more out of this team, especially going into this season, it just seems that they just faltered and they did not do what they needed to do. The problem was tournament. they always had flashes, but they could never capitalize on those flashes. But Chris Mullen teams were just like, this team sucks. Yeah. So to me, Mike Anderson kind of brought stability. And Mike and Chris Mullen brought attention back. So if Chris Mullen like grabbed the attention, they got the alumni's attention, maybe they got some people watching, they fired him, and then Mike Anderson just kind of brought stability. You're hoping that Rick Pitino brings both of that. I mean, look what he's done for Iona. Iona's been a very good team. The basketball seasons, they made a couple NCAA tournament appearances. And for the most part in that game against UConn, they were battling back and forth with the Huskies up until the second half. So oh, absolutely. There is some pro- – if you're a St. John's fan, obviously there is hope because there hasn't been much hope throughout the past couple, even decades. decades. Yeah, so we'll have to see. But we should ask Grayson what his opinion is since he is not the St. John's fan from the um, outsider's perspective. I think it's a really good hire. I mean, I just – my fear of with Patino is he's how, old. Yeah, how long how is he long? really going to be there? Right. To like see it through. My fear is that, you know, they go through a couple rough years maybe and like he just gets aggravated and sick of it. Like and I said, even if he gets aggravated and sick of it, just building the facilities and getting actual yeah, that's that's the biggest key because they don't, Grayson, they literally play in a bandbox of an arena. You've been oh, I know. There. You've I've been, been there. there. Yeah. He's been there. I I've been in high school gyms that are bigger than that place. Yep. And like so, my feel here's my thing with Patino. Um, yeah, the age is a big is a big question mark. But if they start playing ten or twelve games at the Garden a year, because they currently play around six, they've doubled. Okay. The, what I want to say though, I I know what you're going to bring up, and we actually had this conversation. I think it was last night, you and me, but. Why would why would you spend so much money on your facilities on campus to then play at the garden? Uh, like, that's if a good you're question. Rent out the garden, like don't just rent out the garden full. So that's, year round. So that's the thing. St. John's used to do that back in its heyday in the uh, in the eighties and nineties. They used to rent out the garden. So even if St. John's is playing like. I don't know. Um, I'll, I want to give you like a like a mid major from the, like, let's say they were playing Hofstra. I don't think they haven't played Hofstra in the eighties and nineties. So if they played any mid major that period, if you look at the movie, uh, movie coming to America, they go to a St. John's game. They're playing uh, a mid major college there, but it's still it's filled. It has fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand people. So that's what St. John's used to do in their heyday because they could. Um, so my logic would be, uh, there's one of two things that are going to happen. Uh, one, you need the on-campus stuff, like the arena, just for even practices. One, you oh, need no. just practices. I mean, you can build a practice. Uh, do you not have a practice facility? Yeah, it's even worse than Carnesec. It it's really, it's, it's actually it's called it, It's actually okay. god-awful. It's actually then worse. Then you upgrade the practice facility and play at the Garden. What is My thing is, where is... It's going to cost the, about... Where is your benefit of... You have to build a whole brand-new stadium. Yes, no, you have to. You 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 actually so, have to. Like the, you don't have an option. So you figure what to build a new stadium. You draw up all the plans and everything. What you're looking at three years minimum. Yeah, exactly. So in the meantime, okay. you have Patino. Made- that's three years that you're now putting Patino in the spot of. All right, do you really want to wait through 
to the rest of this time? Because what if, if my if, worst case scenario is it becomes okay, well, you hired Mike Anderson to do a good job and you fire him. My fear of Patino might just get sick of it and then they don't have another good head coach option. And then they just invested all this money to upgrade the facilities and then still suck. I mean, this is literally it. This is Custer's last stand. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's very difficult well, well, the in options the position are, that you're in. It's even, the options are either you transfer to the A10 or you spend money. Those are those are the two options ahead of you. So that's that's you know, uh, I guess my take on it. Uh, if you put the team in the garden, it's going to cost about five hundred k a pop just to rent out the garden itself. You're assuming, uh, or I'm going to assume, during the heyday of Chris Mullen, even when Chris Mullen had a mediocre team, he was getting sellouts of the garden. Uh, Nick certainly remembers we would sell out the garden uh, every time it was there. So if you played there, played there eight times, they would get nineteen thousand, or they would get close to like eighteen thousand. So. You assume if you could sell out the garden and the average ticket price is seventy five bucks a pop, you make about a million dollars at the gate every single time. Okay. So if you play every game at home at the garden, you're making money. Yes. You're giving yourself the opportunity for Patino to be good. And you're not wasting all this money at on campus when Look, Johnson, put it this way. Imagine this team under Patino, which I'd be very surprised, but doesn't succeed, right? Then you invested all that money on Patino, all the money on the on the facilities, and then, like you said, what if they go to the A-10? Or they go, they drop down. Well, they're not going to drop down if they get Patino. And obviously, they got, no, they're not but I'm like- saying when, he, when Patino is done, if he gets sick of it, right? Well, then to me, it's a it's a brand new campus. You have brand it's for a coach, right? You have a brand new stadium. You have brand new facilities, and you have the transfer portal now. Uh, I just that's, think that's, it's a. Lore. I think the hiring of Patino is good, but I think the overall plan behind it is what worries. Me. Well, you have you have to you also have to realize this is Patino's plan too. But yeah, a part I, of this was well, saying, like Patino said, I want the keys to everything, and they said, yes, we will do anything. And part of it is Patino wants a new stadium, and he yeah, wants I an mean, update. Blow he wants, uh, I mean, yeah, they're gonna blow up Carnesecca. That's what that's gonna blow happen. up Carnesecca and make that the practice facility and player games of the garden. That that is the Patino ideal wants a stadium. Situation. I don't know what to tell you. He wants a stadium. I, I don't see how that makes the university better because. Would you rather play in Queens or play at the Garden? Well, to be honest with you, and this is gonna sound spicy. But if you're going, wait, but also too, if you're going to split games of a brand new arena and the Garden, what's the point? I mean, they've been doing this for like the last probably forty yes, years, though. But that's because Carnesec is a shithole. Like they've always played games on campus, and they've always played um, games at uh, the Garden. That's so yes, it's, I, always I, happened. I, but what I'm saying is Carnesec is a shithole. So my point is, and they don't—they haven't reinvested any new money into it. Like that place is a dump. So what is the point of building somewhere else to still play at the Garden? That—that's where I'm no, getting. You at. think they actually play 24 games a year at the Garden? That's what it boils no, down to. They play what? Uh, they play ten? six right now. Okay, that's six games at the Garden still. 
Yeah, so would you play the other 18 games? Even if you have Patino, how many games do you think they're playing at the Garden? At minimum 10. Okay, so would you play the other 14? Okay, but that's still almost a 50-50 split between on campus and at the Garden. So you that's need stupid. a new you need a new stadium then. If you're going to if you can Okay, but my point is if you build a new stadium, you can't go back to the Garden. Oh, of course you can. Of course you See, can. They've been they, St. John's has been the Garden for the last 80 years now. I'm just I think that's stupid. To go back to the garden if you're going to build a brand new arena. I, I'm I sorry. Don't, I don't think you actually see the the monetary benefits of playing on campus as well as Madison Square Garden. I mean, realistically, even, you have to realize if you build a fourteen thousand person stadium on the campus of St. John's, yeah, and you could sell that out consistently. Yeah, but you're also banking on selling that out. People don't want to travel to Queens during a weekday. Yeah, you're right. But this here's the thing. If you're already selling out 5,600 consistently, and now you have Rick Bettina already there, you don't think there's that big of a market share in Queens and Long Island? That's, that's 5 million people right there. You have 5 million graduates between... No, I'm saying people. Okay, but you also have to look at... St. John's is not a national program. Yes, so but not- when you have Rick Pitino there, that's what brings the allure. Man, say here, and he's not—he's not a draw. It's just insane. I think he is, but I don't think he's a draw like you're—you're you're putting him out to be. I mean, listen, I—I I, I help between the transfer portal and the upgraded facilities, he'll be fine. Uh, I'm not really. Um, but you also have to look at your worst case scenario, and you look somewhere in between, and that's where you'll probably end up with. All right. So the best case scenario is Rick Pitino wins a national championship, and the worst case scenario is. Uh, he just gets tired of it. Well, I wouldn't say that. I don't think you guys are. Even I mean, that's Pitino the best case. Yeah, Rick Pitino's won two national championships. That's it. That is that is his ceiling. Okay, fine. I mean, granted, that was younger, but I'll, I'll give it. What to do you mean? He won it ten years ago at Louisville. Yeah. Oh, ten years ago. How old was he ten years ago? He was sixty-one. Now he's going to be seventy-one. That's not that big of an age difference. No. <laughs> Tell it to my father. At 51, 61, he was a totally different man. I'm just going to say that. If you take a look at Slick Rick nowadays, he doesn't look any different. Looks and his drive are two totally different things in the way, the coaching style. But I just, I'm looking at it. You want an outside opinion? That's my outside opinion. Nick, do you want to go into the mushing hour? Um, yeah, I guess we can get into it. I, I was trying to figure out a way to segue it into the bushing hour, but I guess there's really no good way to do it. Absolutely. Um, we, we did bring up Mass Square Garden. That's where some of the Sweet 16 games will be played this upcoming week. So let's get into some of the Sweet, the Sweet 16 sorry, matchups for this week. First game that we have on hand, number three seed Kansas State taking on seven seed Michigan State. Who do we have for that game? Uh, give me Kansas State. It's the homecoming. Okay, uh, I'm taking Michigan State. Uh, I, really, I really don't have much of a opinion on why I'm feeling it, but it's just well, this I is have March. You don't gut. have to have an opinion. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Really it's just happen. in my gut. Uh, I'm gonna go Kansas State. I think I, I wasn't sold on them, but after the Kentucky game, I kind of got you know they kind of shocked me a little bit. And honestly, if you could go from beating Calipari to Tom Izzo back-to-back games in the NCAA tournament, 
that's really good on the Wildcats resume. So I think they could get it done. And like Johnson said, it is kind of a homecoming game for them too as well. All right. Well, that's 100% fair. And then we got UConn and Arkansas. This is my favorite game of the entire week, honestly. I agree. Um, I've, I picked UConn to begin with out of the West region. I'm not going to go anywhere away from that. I'm going to stick with the Huskies to win this game. I'm also rolling with UConn. All right, I'm gonna pick Eric Musselman to get to his third straight Elite Eight because I hate UConn and the state and the state of Connecticut. So that's thank you. so I don't want the full mush. Yeah, no, that, that thank you. That's that's all I can ask for. That's really all I can really ask for at this point. <laughs> now, because, and I'll get into our how our picks have gone after we finish up these games because it has not, not been very pretty to say the least for us. It's now, been, want, uh, it's tough. Now I do Go want ahead. to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers taking on FAU and those Owls in the next Sweet 16 games. Uh, yeah, give me Tennessee. I know, I know, I know why, but you, what, if yeah. you want to explain to the uh, listeners, no, um, no, they don't need to know. Just, just give me Tennessee. Okay, so Tennessee it is. Um, I'm going with FAU. Toby I, Anderson. I'm going with the upset. I'm rolling FAU. I'm rolling the dice. Let's uh, let, give me good old Rocky Top. I want to see uh, more of those Thank Grant you. Williams videos of him shitting on Jason Tatum. So that was funny. Um, <laughs> that I was, more, that I was more, funny. I want more Those content like that. So let me get, give me Rocky Top. Okay. Next game is another great one. Number two seed UCLA and number three seed Gonzaga. I think this is really the only matchup. This, this is the only uh, two. There's two two three matchups. There are two this two is one threes. of them. Yep. Um, I'll go first. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take Gonzaga, and I never thought I'd really say that. Um. UCLA has just been kind of weird for me this entire tournament. Uh, I like what Gonzaga's doing. I know they didn't look too hot out of the gate against TCU, but I just think experience at the end of the day is going to be the key in this matchup, and I think they get away with this one against the Bruins. Sorry, I lost my uh, track of thought for a second. There you go. I mean, like you said, experience does matter. Drew Timmy is uh, built for March. Uh, it kind of feels like he is nineteen like thousand years old at this point, but I know. he's still only twenty two. I was gonna say he's still playing. He's only been there four years, and like it's a four legit years, four years. My ass. No, I I be- bro, he's twenty two years might old. Might be twenty five years. I he, swear to God, I do too. But he's think, only been- there's a dude at Memphis that's twenty six. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and he's only twenty two. He's still technically he's young for college ball technically because some guys play to about twenty four. It's pretty uncommon, but. Right. He's still only 22, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take uh, Timmy and the Zags to take down UCLA. I think the Pac-12 was a fake conference, and I don't want to see him in the Elite Eight, so give me the Zags. <laughs> oh, God. I hate Gonzaga with a passion. Give me UCLA. Thank you. All right, so a mushing hour is still not in effect here, so that is That's good. That's going to happen the next game, I guarantee it. Oh, boy. Well, Alabama number one seed gets five seeds, San Diego State. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we're all tied. I, I want to hear Grayson say roll. I want to see hear Grayson say roll uh, tied. Say it. I'll never, I'm never fucking say saying it, it but Alabama's going to win. Okay, fair enough. So he's, he, he's he's taking Alabama. Uh, he's taking Alabama. It's how can you not right now? The, <laughs> and here is the mushing out with me also yep. picking number one, number one Alabama it, it, over San Diego State, the five seed. So there is the mushing out. It was going to happen. Um, next game we have is another number one seed taking out a five seed. Houston taking on Miami. It's an interesting one. Who wants to go first? 
so I can actually break this down. So Houston is going to the Big 12 soon, and Darling Miami is the ACC's only hope right now. Right. This this is the last ACC team to make it. I said they weren't a good conference this year, and here we are. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with Miami. I'm going to take the upset. Oh, okay. I know Houston. Wow. The, the, metric for, the metrics for Houston support in every single way. But the refs aren't aren't going to support Houston because they need that darling ACC team of a pride of ESPN to, to succeed. So give me Miami in a red game. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, I'm almost done. Give me the U. Oh. Well, I'm not sold on Houston, but now those two picks, I'm going to have to take that, Houston. Yeah, thank you, Nick, because yeah. I was – I wanted to not take Houston, but like, I really, I really. No, listen. After what Isaiah game. Wong did against Indiana, if he shoots like that again, he's Miami's a got man. a really good. Ch- yeah, he he. Oh, they have he a really good chance. Bad man. Um, I'll take Houston. I just, it's a mix of. I saw some things that I didn't really see from them all year against Auburn, especially when it looked like they were going to lose. They were down double digits going into halftime. Were able to come back and win that game, so. I think that they have some momentum going for them. If Sasser can stay healthy, that will also help them as well. So I think Houston, at the end of the day, can get the win and move on to the Elite Eight. And I think for our next game, we have our darling Cinderella, number 15, Princeton, New Jersey's own Princeton versus number six, Creighton. So Omaha versus New Jersey, Nebraska versus New Jersey. What a time. What a matchup. I'm not. I'm taking this one last. Okay. You want me to go, Grayson? Oh. You can go first. Uh, I, I I would love to take Princeton. I, I I had a feeling going into the second round matchup they were going to easily handle Missouri. I was not Missouri is not a good team to me in my opinion. Um, this, however, is where I think it ends. I think Creighton is good is a good enough team to make a run in this tournament. You saw it against Baylor. They really I, I thought they were going to lose in the first round against NC State, but they proved me wrong. I think this is another instance where a team has proven me wrong, and I think. Because of that, I'm going to, you know, back them now to move on to the Elite Eight. So give me Creighton to win this one. Hmm. That's interesting. What do you got, Grayson? <sighs> can you? Can we come back to me? I'm Not so flip-flopping. Oh, my God. Just pick. It's a motion hour. That's yeah, be running versus it. six. I don't think it's that much. Uh... I'm going Princeton. Okay. There we go. And the mushing hour still does not live on because I'm going with Creighton here. I think this is the good Cinderella story for the Ivy League. If you're gonna get that sweet 355k per game for the next year, because God knows those poorly funded Ivy League scores need that money. Um, <laughs> but Creighton is going to advance and get more money for the Big East. Um, like we said earlier, Creighton had all those advanced metrics. They just want to kind of check off those boxes. And unfortunately, uh, Princeton does not give out FLX scholarships, so that's where it's going to limit them here. Even though they play smart, they've had a hell of a run. Uh, this is where it ends. Okay. Now, the last game, I think... I, I, I'm curious to see where we go with this one because we obviously made our region picks. And right now, this game is currently a matchup between some of our region picks for the Midwest. Two seed Texas and three seed Xavier going at it. Do 
we still have the same pick for this one, or are we changing it up? Oh, I do. I'll start. X is going to give it to you. Give me Sean Miller and his uh, and his NCAA violations, Xavier. and Xavier to be lead eight. Okay, Grayson. I'm sticking with the Big Twelve. Give me Texas, even though I really think Xavier's got a good shot to win this game. I, I'm rolling. I'm rolling with the boys. Um, I've had te- I have Alabama and Texas in my national championship game potentially, and I'm not going to tear away from that either. So, give me the Longhorns to win this game against Xavier. At least Johnson and my thing. We have two Big East tour- teams going into the lead eight, so that is good for the conference either way. Oh yeah, have two teams uh in the Elite Eight and two afterthought Big East teams, uh at least in Xavier and um, I'm sorry, not in Xavier, in Creighton, who is considered to be a big East afterthought after the first half of this year is fantastic. Um right. still disappointing about Mar- that Marquette loss is gonna sting, but get two Big East teams in the Elite Eight, yeah, it's gonna help a lot. Yeah, I mean and going back up about how we picked this tournament so far, I alluded to it earlier. It has not been a Good start for us to say the least, especially for you, Johnson. You have one team left, and that is Xavier. So I do not blame you for sticking with that pick. You have to ride it out and see if they can maybe get to the final four. Grayson still has Texas and Alabama, so I understand why he is still sticking with them at this current moment. I at least still have UConn as well as Texas and Alabama. So I'm still alive, and I have the only national champion pick still alive in the tournament. So Alabama, all I'm going to say is... Protect yourself, wrap yourself in some bubble wrap potentially, because the Mushigawa has already claimed two victims. Will you be the third? That's going to be determined in the next couple of weeks with this NCAA tournament. But the Sweet 16, as we said, is happening on Thursday and Friday. Should be some great time matchups. Who will go on to the Elite Eight and get fur- you know, closer and closer getting to that national championship status? We'll have to find out. Once again, this is Nicholas Pavona, joined alongside by Andrew Johnson and Grayson Sheepy G. Marino with the All Gas No Break Sports Show. Have a great rest of your weekend.